Hey, this is Brock Shinen, author of the top-selling book, The Christian Entrepreneur. And if you want to create an impactful kingdom business, you should be listening to the Eternal Entrepreneur podcast with my good friends, Joe Newton and Pierce Brantley. The Eternal Entrepreneur gives you the stories and strategies to gain freedom as a Christian business leader. You'll hear from real entrepreneurs who have learned how to partner with God, from making millions to filing bankruptcy. These are honest stories to help you hear God's voice and build a lasting legacy through business. Well, hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Eternal Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton. and We could not be more excited to share with you our conversation today with Brock Scheinman. Brock is a thought leader, author, consultant, and founder of the Law Office of Brock Scheinman, Inc., which represents the largest and fastest growing churches in America. He's also on the board of directors for Jesus Culture and Moral Revolution, and his business expertise has been recognized by Fox, CBS, NBC, and ABC Networks. Brock has also written three Amazon number one best-selling books, including The Christian Entrepreneur, Dream, Plan, Execute, and Grow. And before we jump into the interview today, I want to ask if you'd help us out by leaving us a five-star review and sharing the podcast with a friend. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit eternalentrepreneur.co. And now on to the interview. Hey, Brock, it is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time. So happy to be here, guys. So happy to have this conversation. I know it's going to be a good one. So, Brock, I know you have one of the longest and most extensive bios that we've ever had to, to cut down and do a, a, a small a minute clip. So can you give us the 30,000 foot view of what your journey into entrepreneurship was? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's embarrassing, too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the journey, I would say, is recognizing from the time I was a kid that I knew I was born to help people. And think, you know, you just get into, as a child, it just fits into whatever box you're kind of told or, or whatever your environment looks like. So my dad was a pastor. My mom was a worship leader. Family was involved in ministry. So that was the box that I thought I would go in. But, you know, as you get older, you start to realize, okay, I can help people in many different ways. And I went to uh, undergrad for psychology and graduate school for psychology. And then, you know, started with these different jobs. And it all kind of evolved into... God, I'll go wherever you send me, but I know my my purpose in life is to help people very deeply and very action-oriented. So that's that's where God put me. That was an excellent summary of uh of your 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 bio there. And what I love about that, one of I know one of the things for me that God told me when I got into business, he said, "Joe, it's all about value. It's all about bringing the most value for other people." And I I feel like some of the most successful people who I see empower others. It's like that at the core, just like you is, is, is at their heart. I'm curious when you got your original degrees, did you always know that you're going to go into the, the law profession to help people? Or were you originally going to try and be like a, a therapist or something like that? Yeah. So I was actually on the road to being a clinical psychologist, basically probably sometime around first or second year of college. I don't remember exactly when, but I really thought, okay, that's my calling. 
And so that's what my school is for. Went to graduate school for that. Had some things in my life um, during my second year of graduate school where I felt like God said, well, I went to God and I said, God, if I'm not where you want me, reposition me, whatever that looks like, I'll go. So he, I felt like he told me, drop out of school, quit your job, and I'll, I'll order your next steps, which was very scary, right? I'd never thought about law at all. Never thought about being a lawyer, going to law school or anything like that. But I through through a series of steps that he took me through, I wanted I wound up getting a job at a, a Christian music publishing company and became I was put in charge of all the publishing and licensing. And it was through that that I kind of fell in love with contracts and intellectual property. And, and I felt like God was saying, OK, now you're going to educate yourself around this topic. And that was the first time I felt law was even on the docket. Right. And then from there, I went to law school and kind of the rest evolved, you know. And do I remember correctly that before you went to law school, though, you were already starting with business strategy? Yeah. So it was it was interesting because I already had people and businesses coming and asking for help. And I think some of that with with the record label I was working at, it put me in a place to offer sort of strategic advice to people that were navigating at that time more around like ministry and music and music business. So it was it was pretty quick where I was already being asked for help in like these different areas and helping music businesses and things like that. But that I would say was kind of the first, you know, taste of entrepreneurialism that I was professionally involved in before I was even an attorney or any sort of like professional hat on, you know. So I'm curious, I feel like you starting off working with creatives, you kind of jumped into the deep end when it comes to uh, business strategy and helping with that. What were some of the big lessons that you kind of learned as far as specifically working with that type of mindset? I think one of the big ones I learned out of the gate. So there was a guy who came in. He was a, a relatively well-known like artist and producer around the circles that I was in. And he came in and he said he was talking about recoupment. And, you know, here I am, a music publisher. And I'm like well, a new music publisher. anyways. And I'm like, I, I'm thinking, I don't even know what that term means. And it was a big light bulb that went off for me, not just how important it was to know your business, but to actually really go deep in whatever you're going to do to really go deep in it. And it kind of tied together with one of my life verses is in uh, Colossians. And it's whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as if serving for God and not for man. And I I looked at that moment. I thought, God, whatever I do, I want to go deep in it. I want to understand it better than anyone out there. I want to spend more time. And so even as a music publisher, I literally listened to every single song that the company ever published. And I tried to memorize all the copyright information for, I mean, this hundreds and hundreds of songs. I tried to memorize all the copyright information, all the writer splits, just just as a matter of learning. I tried I tried to read every book I could on music publishing and the music business. I think that was actually one of the big starting points to kind of get to your question of of what I realized in any business, not just music, but any business is you need to understand what you're what you're dealing with. And the deeper you go, the more knowledge you're going to be, the more able you more you're able to kind of flex around the issues that that surprise everyone else, right? Brock, I love that. And I think that's such a good principle for folks who are first kind of figuring out how they give a business to the Lord or how they kind of go on their own entrepreneurial journey. And it comes down to kind of, you said it, this principle of stewardship. And I think oftentimes we think if 
the Lord kind of downloads a passion to us or something like that, in many ways, it's on him to kind of make the thing successful. And we kind of forget the idea, the principle that we even see in scripture, which is steward these talents well, assuming you don't even have a lot to work with. Yeah. And just immerse yourself in it. Go deep, like you said. And that is where you actually, it's almost a proving ground, so to speak, mm. of whether or not there's something else to graduate to. Oftentimes, I think we think, oh, man, entrepreneurs and business owners are really visionary, right? They yeah. can way out there and they can see what their business looks at. Uh, you know, once it's a unicorn and a billion dollar valuation, and yet they don't have like 500,000 in revenue yet. Right. And it's, you got to steward the first things in order to be able to grow. And a lot of that is just going deep, like you said, yeah. becoming an expert and genuinely caring about the details. I just think that's super valuable, man. Yeah. And it, and it goes to a couple of verses that come to mind. You know, number one is we, we often look at the parable of the talents as, as kind of this thing, like we're actually supposed to work the ground, like we're supposed to work. And also, you know, the idea that when I think about it, my, my verse that's in replacement of the parable of the talents is go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. You know, it stores up in the winter and, and it goes on and on. But the idea is more, it's, it's less about like the, the talents or this investment that we want to see a return on. But actually, we can learn there's wisdom in storing up and preparing and working hard. So so for me, any job that I've ever approached, any client that I ever work with, part of my starting point is is not just like, hey, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. So develop really good habits when you have little and you'll have really great habits when you have much. That's an integral piece to this. But I think there's another a larger thing, which is it's great to have a good work ethic. And, and I find, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life, like literally ran to the altar at six years old. So I say this with, with a very dear heart towards Christianity. But I think a lot of times, like you were saying, we just expect God to like, you know, just erect the sails and blow into them for us. And sometimes God is saying, no, I actually want you to row for a while. I want you to get out there, you know, work the ground, you know, break a sweat, get some, some calluses on your hands, you know, and it's scary for us, right? Can you go a little deeper with that? Because what you just said on the end there is that it's it's scary. I feel like there, there there's something in that because maybe is that part of it, do you think, with people who are starting a new business a lot of times? It's not just that they're afraid to put in the hard work, but that there's there's some form of a bigger loss there? Yeah, I do. I think that the fear is, it's probably multi-layer, but I think there's two distinct areas of fear. One is that we get away from trusting God by working hard, that we somehow get outside of his will. I mean, that you, you hear it in Christian circles all the time. Like if you get too successful, it must not be God. Right. And I think there's just many, many circumstances in the Bible where we see that that's not true, that it's truly God's hand blessing. But what we're always, we're always kind of working against is that there's scriptures that, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than, you know, a rich man that like all those types of verses where we're like, wait, so it's bad to be wealthy. It's bad to get, have success. But then on the other side of it, Proverbs in particular, but many places in the Bible, Proverbs in particular talks a lot about hard work and the work ethic and planning ahead, all those sorts of topics. So I think we're a little bit afraid of getting outside of God's will by working hard. 
And so we, we say, well, hey, we're just trusting God to open doors, to blow on our sails, when many times we're just laying there and we're just, we're just waiting for something good to happen instead of working for it. But I think there's also another layer of fear that's just generic human fear, which is, what if I fail, right? And the thing is, you listen to any business expert in any industry in probably any time in history, and they're pretty much going to tell you with resounding singular voice, if you're not prepared to fail and you're not failing on a regular basis, you're not really trying, right? So, you know, it's like whatever, whether it's Michael Jordan, like I, I missed, you know, I don't remember exactly, but, you know, you, you miss all the shots you never take, right? So it doesn't matter if you don't take them. You got to take thousands and thousands of shots to be consistent on one. I've heard tennis coaches and basketball coaches, you have to hit thousands and thousands of balls to be consistent hitting one ball. So I think it's the same concept in business and we just get scared of failing, right? That's so good. Recently, I helped a, a company go get acquired and they were they appeared in the PR side of things like they were an overnight success. And the CEO is a Christian guy. And they immediately what what helped them get acquired was some new ip that they'd come to, together to do along with some really good marketing and from the outside looking in you look at this guy who loves the lord and who has just sold his company at a great evaluation and it looks like this guy just kind of has a magic touch what no one knows or when, what most people fail to kind of recognize is that this guy has 11 years of backstory, basically digging ditches in his own company mm -hmm. to make this thing be successful. And he's one of his biggest pet peeves is when people kind of just assume, to kind of use your language, that there should be a blow on the sales moment. You should be building your own sail, right? You want to, yeah. You're the one who wanted to be a captain of a ship, go build a sail <laughs> and go get it out there and uh, be ready for a journey You're gonna, if you're planning on crossing the Atlantic. So right. I love that, man. That's good. Brock, I'm, I'm curious, do you see, because I, I know you work with a lot of Christian and, and non-Christian business owners, entrepreneurs, are there consistent patterns that you see to the ones that succeed and the ones that fail? And are those different a lot of the time with the Christian entrepreneurs and the ones who aren't? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question because it really hits to the heart of some realities that I think oftentimes we're afraid to face as Christians. So the first answer is, are there sort of patterns, similarities in people that are successful versus those that are not? And I'd say absolutely yes. And I'll talk about a couple of those. Do I see distinctions or differences or patterns in Christian versus non-Christian entrepreneurs and whether that sort of leads to success or not. In some ways, the answer is also a very strong yes. So when you think about patterns between success and not, many times what you'll see show up, people that are successful tend to be relentless. They tend to be ready to fail and have no problem failing. They tend to disregard people's perception of them and not in a, a jerk way, not, not in a, you know, I don't care what your opinion is, but in, in a way that says I'm focused on my race, not your race. I'm focused on my game or my build, not yours. You tend to see people that are often more generous, which I know may seem um, almost ironic or um, maybe counterintuitive, but a lot of times with, with very successful people, you'll see generosity You'll see people that are willing to help 
consistently that they're they're showing up consistently emotionally and mentally and i mean i can go on and on and on but but i think the stronger counterpoint is well what are the consistencies with people who don't succeed it's not as easy as saying well it's the opposite you know they don't they don't have grit they don't have a good work ethic but it is important to point out some of these i think are critical factors in why most people don't succeed however having this kind of conversation so frequently, I feel like I've, I've kind of honed in on maybe a couple of really key areas where I see failure consistently. And one is people are just not willing to follow through the difficult points. And I think like if you're a Seth Godin reader at all, you know, he talks about the dip. There's different authors, there's different experts out there that talk about basically whether you think of this in sports or like working out the muscles or whatever, you get to a point where there's just like breakdown, right? And most of us give up mentally. And when you look at, at failure patterns in business, I would say 99% of the time, you're going to see somebody who just gave up. And when you think about that, like, oh my gosh, like such a simple, silly idea. And yet that's where 99% of failures are, are living is I just didn't keep pushing now, in order to push past, you have to have that, that basically that grit, that work ethic to keep going. But I think there's areas we can talk, you know, and go deeper in that. But as far as the Christian, non-Christian kind of comparison, I think the biggest thing for me that I see consistently with Christians is I think it grows out of a tension of, uh, like I was talking about earlier, like if we're working too hard, we're not trusting God. So I'm just not going to work as hard because then I'm not trusting God. And that becomes our logic of not working hard, which means now when, when I compare a Christian to a non-Christian in, in an entrepreneurial setting, I'm like, here's this non-Christian working his or her butt off. And then here's a Christian saying, Lord, Lord, open doors, open windows. And I'm like, but they're not getting their hands dirty. And that's frustrating because I'm like, if you just got your hands dirty and did some work, you'd actually be way ahead of all of your counterparts. So I think those are, I know it's a kind of a long-winded answer, but those are the key points that come to mind when you ask those questions. I'm curious, do you see with, because one of the things that that I, I reminisce with, with myself, I'm like, okay, we literally have the best-selling author of all time inside of us, like the guy who breathed into dirt and a man jumped up. It seems like we should have some leverage in, in this. I guess the question I'm, I'm trying to ask is, are people sometimes in a place of that, that analysis paralysis, do you think, when it comes to not only am I trying to figure out, should I do this, should I not do that, but I'm also trying to figure out, like, has the Lord said this, has the Lord not said that? D does that come into play with it? Uh, like, sort of they have that additional, I don't know, block to, to work through? I think the answer is yes, but in all honesty, this is based on my own observations through decades of working with people and businesses is that I think that's more of a, a veil to mm. what's behind, which is ultimately fear. I, I really do yeah. feel nine out of 10 times it's fear, but on the surface, it looks like that, that analysis paralysis, like God, are you in? Or are you not? You do this, do you not? And the interesting thing for me is that. So I grew up, my dad was very much like, hey, you get in the boat and you pray. And if the boat's going anywhere, it's because God blew in the sails. And if it doesn't, then that wasn't his will. I, I was literally trained that way from the time I was a kid. That was, that was the way he raised me. So I had a very hard time 
<laughs> like making the transition to understanding the idea of a work ethic. And it's not just about God blowing in the sails, but even saying that to this day at my age and my experience, I still will wrestle with that. God, are you in this? Should I be, should I be working hard? Should I just like sit here and wait? Like what is, what's, what's the answer? And what I really feel like God has said through the scriptures and to me directly in that, and I really feel like it's the same answer for all of us is, is kind of a couple of things. Number one is if God's speaking, do what he's speaking. If the scriptures are clear, do what the scriptures say. When you're not clear, my my gut test, and I'm not saying this is theologically correct. I'm saying this is just me being honest and transparent. My my test is this. I lay it all before God. And if God says yes, then my answer is yes. If he says no, my answer is no. If he says pause, then it's pause, you know, so on and so forth. But if I hear silence, I'm going to hesitate to move. But if it's silence too long, I'll say, God, I'm going to move forward, trusting that if this is not your will, you're going to stop me because I am submitting this to you. So just because I can't hear you right now doesn't mean I'm not submitting or I'm rebelling or whatever. And I've I've had times where I felt, okay, I get it going. And then God kind of steps in and, and stops me some way, somehow. Other times I feel like I was completely within his will. He just, for whatever reason, maybe I just couldn't hear him. Maybe he was speaking, but I do feel very strongly that, that what we need to do is always be making some sort of forward progression. And I feel that's how we're designed. I feel that's how we're made. I think it's an easy out to say, well, God, I was scared. What if I'm wrong? So I buried my talents. And there we are back to the verse of the talents. Your fear makes you bury the talents, but I'm not afraid of getting slapped down because if God wants to slap me down, so be it. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm afraid of being outside of his will. So if I don't hear him, I want to, I want to make progress forward and still submit it to him every step of the way. And I, I got to trust he's going to shut me down if I need to be shut down. Brock, I think that's fantastic, man. What I feel like I, I hear you articulating. It's so good is that we have agency as sons and as daughters of God. He's given us agency. You know, even you think in practical terms, like going to the whole world to preach the gospel. Well, do I go to Austin? Do I go to Texas? Do I go to like, but to go like, I've given you agency. I've given yeah. you agency. And then you actually, you look at a lot of these Old Testament kings. I think their stories are fascinating. Oftentimes God will say, go do whatever it is in your heart to do and I'll, I'll bless it. We forget, I think oftentimes that part of being ambassadors means doing just that and whatever that looks like. And I think the Lord oftentimes does give us a lot of agency. It's not that there aren't times where he says, Hey, stop here or go do that. But the way I look at it is someday I'm going to stand in front of my maker and he's not going to say Pierce out of these 176 times, I told you to go do something. You got like 82 of them, right? And now we have to talk (laughs) about these other 53. He's going to say, what did you do with the life I gave you? Yeah. I gave you agency and I want to know how you glorified me in that. And it's not even so much like the measuring of that, but it's, it's the relationship aspect of it. So man, it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. Pierce. And honestly, like I'm still thinking about how you figured out that math on the 150 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple missing, yeah. <laughs> but I think what you said right now is such a critical piece of how entrepreneurs, where they struggle. 
is that they they think, and I think maybe all Christians to some extent do this. We tend to think that we have one purpose in life, that we God's given us one ability, almost like special power. And it's our job to like, to like pin the tail on a donkey. You're blindfolded. We've spun you around. You're dizzy, but you got to figure it out. And I don't think that's God at all. I don't think that's godly. And I don't think that's God's destiny for us. I think what, what you said about God giving us agency, I think God has placed a creative spirit in all of us, whether we're left or right brain. I think God has given us the ability to explore a hundred different careers and potentially be completely happy, completely successful in a hundred different careers. He says, it's up to you. I, I truly believe that. Now, is, can I cite a verse for that? Uh, probably not. No, I'm, I'm not a theologian. so. But I think this idea of agency is where, again, and, and part of this goes back to my background in psychology. You know, I'm always looking at high, you know, human psychology and how we think about problems. It's easier for us to dumb it down and say, well, that's not what God's called me to do, or I'm not good at it. God hasn't gifted me or God hasn't given me favor in that. And what I would say is, what if God just said, go give yourself some strength in that area. I don't wake up from the time I'm a baby and not ever work my muscles because God didn't give me, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, 1988 body, right? I say, if I want something, I have to go after it. And, and I know there's always this tension. And I, I repeat that almost as a preface. Because I know Christians really struggle with this and get angry about it. But I think I think the idea of God saying, hey, Joe, hey, Pierce, hey, Brock, how do you want to serve me? If I say, God, I don't want to do attorney, consultant, author stuff anymore. I want to serve you on a fishing boat, <laughs> which I've thought about. Then I think that God could bless that. And I think it would be all about me submitting it to him and saying, God, I would love to do this and asking him and, and processing with it. But, but you see like fishing and versus what I do are two very different things. And I know I'm trying to make a silly joke about it, but the idea of us having a say in our destiny, it's because God has said, I want to be here for you. I want to support you. I want to give you tools to bring the gospel to the kingdom, bring the gospel to the world. How are you going to do that? And we just gravitate towards what feels easy or where we feel skilled. But we don't always stop to think, you know what? I need to go where there's help needed or where I need to develop a skill in order to meet a need. And that's not something I intuitively felt God calling me to do. You know what I mean? No, I, I do know what you mean. I read the stat once that said that 10 times over the course of our work lives, 10 times, which is crazy if you think about that from like, year to year to year. And oftentimes I think as Christians, we think, well, you know, if I was really listening to the Lord, I would have one because I got some kind of download from the Lord. And now I know exactly what I'm supposed to do in, in business and in life. And when you, we look at kind of just the way the Lord has ordered the world, that's not how it works. You've been called from the point that you have come into a relationship with the Lord. After that, it's how do you want to abide with me? Maybe that is fishing. Maybe that is working in the music industry. Maybe that is helping people in specific, you know, different areas of, you know, complex law. But it all kind of falls underneath the umbrella of pursuing the Lord and, and bringing good on the earth as we're called to do. So I love that. Yeah. And I think just one quick add on that is that we, we forget sometimes that God is a builder and he's always building on what he's done in us in the past. And I think about my own life. I, I used to have almost like a regret 
maybe maybe an actual regret, but like, why didn't I finish graduate school, get my PhD in clinical psychology, and then do things? But in my mind, what I've realized over the years is God has established and whatever he needed me to draw from the experience of, of being in psychology and those programs and, and gleaning what I needed to glean and learning what I needed to learn, he's using today. And I use psychology in my daily life every day. So I feel like we forget God is always building. So even if you think you're on one track and then all of a sudden you're on a different track, again, it doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. Sometimes God is just taking it to one place to, get, to equip you for the next place. It's completely different. You know, we just forget that. Brock, I'm curious, what advice do you do you give to people that helps them to either prepare for these times where they, they hit these fears or just moving forward to make sure that they, they keep that momentum? Like, how, how do you counsel people when they start to hit up against these type of roadblocks? Oftentimes, I, I revert back to advice I got as a cross-country runner in high school and college where I had a coach that that... He saw me stop because I had a really bad, I don't remember if it was a side ache or a shin splint or whatever. Um, I think it was my first year of college. And he said, Brock, don't ever stop when you're at running. Don't ever stop. Even if you have to hobble, don't lose full momentum because it becomes almost impossible to regain momentum and, and keep moving forward. So what he taught me in that first year of running with the college team was always keep momentum. No matter if you're, if you're just dying, you literally feel like you're about to croak, then, then walk, don't stop. Whatever you do, do not stop. So I think there's the Freudian slip where I just said, don't stop, but I meant do not stop. But when I work with entrepreneurs, I see this so often is that there's, there's just a constant place of, I just got to stop or I hit a wall and I can't go any further. And part of my encouragement, when, when you want to keep going or what do you do when you want to keep going, when you're going to hit these spots that are just, they feel impossible, you don't know how to get past them. There's a couple of strategies, just, I think, really effective strategies. One is you never start anything without believing you're going to finish. And if you start something without believing you're going to finish, you probably won't finish. That's just a hard a statistical truth. If you think you're going to fail, you probably will fail. I can honestly say that every race I've ever ran, I believed I was going to win. And that's including against people that would run 10 times faster than me. <laughs> I just, I convinced myself I'm going to win. Every, I used to be a swimmer. Every race I swam, I, I believe the same thing. I'm going to win this no matter how much the odds are stacked against me. I've tried to make it a life habit to always believe that whatever I do, I'm going to get the result I'm going after. Of course, I don't. But I think that's part of what gets me over the hump of, well, I'm not there or whatever. I failed is I just keep going. But the other thing, too, is writing out a roadmap. I think that we joke about looking at the mirror like that Saturday Night Live thing. And, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I think writing down what you plan to accomplish and your goals so that you can finish them is instrumental. And I think there's plenty of research and statistics on that, that people that write their goals down are much more likely to accomplish them. And part of the reason is because it's a guide, it's a guidebook, right? It's a map. When you're feeling like disillusioned, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you just look at that and you remember, yes, I need to get this done. So writing it down is another. So believing, you know, mindset and believing that you can, knowing that you're going to. And then I think the final piece is, is just like, I make a lot of references to running and swimming because those were my, my sports, you know, growing up. 
I know a lot of people are, you know, basketball, baseball, whatever. For me, it's, it's about knowing that a race is going to be tough and you're going to want to give up. And, you know, I remember running the first time for 20 miles and I'm like, who, who does this? This is stupid. <laughs> you know, but you, you get to a point where you say, well, I could, and I, and I literally would have these conversations with myself during races in the early years. Why, why am I doing this? Like, I don't have to finish this. There's nobody that's making me, there's nothing I'm going to lose or, this, you know, other than me feeling stupid for not finishing, I don't have to. And then I came to the point where I realized like that mental perspective is what was actually keeping me from, from succeeding. So I think if we could have the mental perspective that it's worth it, that the process is worth it and know that you cannot get to the goal without the process, which I do think is also there's, there's an aspect of that that's uniquely Christian because we believe God said so. I don't, I can bypass the process. And what God says is, I get you to the goal through the process and I care more about the process than the goal, but we just want the outcome. We don't want all the difficulties that come through it. So I think if we change our perspective on process, we'll be much more effective in reaching our goals. That's so good. Do you have an example of you, you personally in your business to where, you know, instead of how I built this, it was how I failed at this and kind of what that actually looked like for you? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably a ton. I'm, I'm trying to think of one that would be meaningful. So a couple of years ago, I, I had in my mind webinars were like that, that was it. Like I had to do webinars and that was going to be the, the pivot that I made that changed everything. And so, um, this is probably about six or seven years ago. So I started studying all these people that were like webinar experts and following them and learning everything I could from them. And then I started doing webinars. And what I realized, none of them were working. Nothing I was doing was working with webinars. And, you know, as time went on, I don't remember exactly when I sort of woke up to the reality. I realized, number one, I wasn't being authentic. I was just simply copying a formula that all these webinar experts had said, this is how you do it. And, you know, even to the point of like, okay, when you start your webinar, you start a few minutes early and you like, you know, it's, it's on your hands or your notes and you're like, okay, well, we're just letting people get on. I mean, there's a whole methodology to this, you know, okay, everybody hear me, you know, let's do a mic check. Like there's literally a list that every single webinar person does that when you think about it, it makes it longer. It makes it more boring. It makes it like people don't want to sit through that. And then, you know, hiding the time so they can't fast forward. It's like it's designed to force people to either listen so they'll buy or to get out because they're not they're not hot leads. And all of this stuff is documented. It's all, you know, sort of smart in a way because it's it's effective sales and marketing tactics. But what I realized for me is I failed miserably because I knew from the beginning, I want to do webinars that were like 10 to 15 minutes that basically showed the secret sauce from minute number one. I never wanted to hide the secret sauce till 45 minutes in. And hey, if you if you want the secret sauce, buy these three things and you'll get a Gensu knife, you know, included for $19.95 or whatever. I just wanted to show the goods from moment number one. So I think for me, trying to emulate these experts where, where I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all saying that there isn't wisdom in those techniques. What I'm saying is they weren't right for me. And I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what I should do and I didn't do it. And I felt miserably. I didn't make a single sale for many of these webinars. I probably had like two people show up on each of them. I felt like they, they were an absolute waste, but they taught me like just, just a, an uncountable uh, measure 
in terms of what I learned about myself and why I do what I do. So that's, that's probably the quickest, easiest one I thought of. Do you have a way that you kind of keep score or check in with yourself after you either start a new business or kind of a new venture like the, the webinars? Probably on a practical level, like did people show up? <laughs> did, did people read it? Did they smile? Did they die? You know, during <laughs> those kinds of basic measures. But honestly, I don't know. I think I think that in some ways I probably violate a lot of the the rules and standards that I try to help with. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs. The reason why is because I guess in some ways, and this is again me just being transparent. I don't feel like some of those rules apply to me. And the reason why is because I'm so ready to lose if it means it's for God, if it means that what I'm laying at his feet doesn't net me a one dime, I'm okay with that. So I don't take traditional measurements. Like I'm not looking at my conversion rates and, you know, my cost per click and all that kind of stuff, which, which is all rational, logical, smart things that, that any entrepreneur should be doing, right? What I do is I look about, I look at my obedience in helping as many people as possible and trying to be effective as that and, and pivoting as much as I can to reach as many people as I can with as much content as I can. Cause to me, if I picture myself, and I know this, I don't, I don't mean this arrogantly at all. I know I'm saying this publicly. So again, just, uh, I'm a transparent person. So being transparent, but if I'm a water fountain, I don't want to shut off. I want to be pouring out water. And if I realize there's not a line, you know, at my fountain, then I'm just going to start spraying water. <laughs> and so to me, I would much rather just err on the side of I'm helping as many people as possible in every way possible and just get a lot of it wrong than to have the most pristine machine for dialing in my data and my statistics and my numbers and my ROI and all that kind of stuff. That's my, my entrepreneurial journey, but I don't recommend that for most people. And part of why I don't is because I do think I have a deeper expertise, partly because of my law practice, partly because of my strategy consulting and my history in, in business. So I do think I have a natural, better understanding than most that I can make that kind of poor choice. And also God's blessed me with a water spout that doesn't turn off. So, so for me, I'm not at risk of running out. You know, I've had people like, dude, you're, you're, you have articles over here and videos over here and blah, you know, like I can't even keep up with their stuff. I'm like, cause God's just flowing and I'm just spraying it as much as I can. Cause if I help one person, I've done my job, you know? That's awesome. Well, I want to make sure we, we honor your, your time, Brock. So with our last five minutes, we usually do our final five questions. So these are five questions, random fire and, uh, yeah. Question number sushi. one. <laughs> oh, sorry. what was that? Sushi. Sushi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. You're good. <laughs> so uh, question number one, the uh, typical podcast question, what are your top three must read books, not including the Bible? These can be business, family, spiritual, or even cookbook. All right. Tale of Three Kings, my favorite book of all time, which is actually more of a play than a book. And it's really about the uh, the heart of, of each of us and God looking at the heart of each of us. So the Tale of Three Kings, uh, Catcher in the Rye happens to be in my top three. And more than anything, less to do with the message and more to do with the creativity of it. I just love the the creative nature of the book and the writing style. And I just I just feel like it's a 
you know, I'm not, I'm not at all making a Christian argument for or against it. I'm just saying <laughs> as a creative, I, I really enjoy that book. Um, read it many, many times. The third book, that's a tough one because I read a lot and um, I've, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of books. Can I leave it at two? <laughs> I, might, I might remember a third one, but I can't right now. Sure. <laughs> you can call us up at uh, 2 a.m. tonight and, uh, you know, let us know what that third <laughs> you one know is. You know, actually, this is, uh, this one just strikes me and I wouldn't have said it's in my top three, but it's such a phenomenal book for entrepreneurs to understand. And that is, uh, it's by Russell Brunson and it's called Expert Secrets. Expert. And he's the guy that in, uh, invented like uh, funnel hacking and like um, he's got he's got a whole program and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not an affiliate or anything like that. I'm just I'm just saying that book really helps you understand what brings people into a funnel that ultimately leads to them doing business with you. It's a really well written book. That's cool. I just put him on my list for something. And I was like, I wonder if he's going to be a good writer or if he just says people selling his books. But it's no, cool to hear. His book is is phenomenal. That's great. So way, way to throw three in there. Uh, we'll give you full credit today. Question Thank number two. You can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that card? Ooh, that's a tough one. Can I cram? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think advice number one, take chances sooner and earlier um, mm-hmm. than I would have. I think number two is believe that you can do what you set out to do. Because I think that that's unfortunately something that most entrepreneurs figure out later in life. And so they spend a lot of the first years floundering. So believe a lot sooner. And I think the third thing is, this This is probably still something I struggle with, is build teams that don't don't build teams for the sake of building teams, but build teams that that matter for the future sooner. I think that's probably the three pieces of advice I'd give to myself. That's great. And I actually want to plug your book uh, for anyone who's building a team, The Christian Entrepreneur. I was just re-listening to it uh, this morning and your your part about teams and why you select specific people is a a great resource out there. So anyone looking for teams. Question number three, how do you define success for yourself? For myself, I think primarily obedience to God. Second to that would be getting as much out of what's in my head and heart onto paper, video, audio, whatever. To me, the measure of success is that I'm actually living my passion, believing it, and then it's all submitted to God. That's awesome. Question number four, when times have gotten tough, what's kept you from quitting? I don't think I'm a natural quitter. So I think part of it is just kind of just the innate disposition. But I do think that I I really do depend on God, like moment to moment, breath to breath. And I don't say that like as a, as a Christian, Christianism or or whatever. I mean, literally like I can't survive without God. And so for me, it's praying constantly, it's seeking his wisdom constantly, it's praying for wisdom constantly. I pray, you know, throughout the day, all day, every day. And I think Staying connected to God for me is more important than anything I know or I've learned or I've any work experience I have or client I've ever worked with, like any of that stuff. I think it's the the thing that keeps me going and makes me the energizer bunny is Jesus. And that's it. Period. <laughs> I love that. Thing that makes me the energizer bunny is Jesus, period. Right. There. <laughs> <laughs> you can quote that. We'll quote that, yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number five, what questions should we have asked that we didn't? 
I would say from your audience that probably if you, if you pulled enough, you'd find out that there's some recurring themes that people are struggling with that kind of went beyond what we talked about. And my guess is that a lot of people struggle with not knowing how to do the mechanics. They understand concepts. They understand I've read books. I've taken the classes. I've attended the webinars. But all of that just feels very heady. It feels like big, big up in the, uh, you know, up in the air, pie in the sky kind of thing. I think that there are mechanics to success. There are mechanics to building a strong business in any industry. And those mechanics, I mean, that's part of why I wrote The Christian Entrepreneur was to address those mechanics because I feel like those, those just get missed. They get overlooked because we all want to be inspired. But I think most of us can't get from A to B, much less Z, with inspiration. We need mechanical steps to get us there. So I think, you know, if anything, whether there's a round two or just, you know, maybe it's a time with your audience is that there's probably some mechanics that if you if you asked it enough, you'd realize, man, these people could really use like, what are the mechanics of this thing? Yeah, no, that's that's so good. And I hope we can have you back again soon because that's definitely valuable to to yeah, not just have the ethereal and the the mental, but to have that where where the pavement hits the road yeah. mechanics there. Cause as we kind of like to say, uh business, it's it's not sexy, it's it's not rocket science, it's it's just business sometimes, yeah. you know. Well, Brock, totally. thank you so much for spending your time with us today. And uh real quick please let our audience know uh, where's the best place that they can go to, to learn more about you and to, to find your water fountain, I guess, is the, the metaphor. <laughs> <we ended on. laughs> Easiest sort of professionally would be brockshinen.com. I try to make that sort of just a, a, a you know, all my resources kind of pooled up together. Um, not always do, done the greatest job there, but I, I feel like if you really want to find more about me and my resources, that's the easiest place to get in touch with all of them. And if you just want to get inside my head, I would say Instagram, Brock Shine, and you know, on Instagram is more of just my daily life thinking and and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Brock, and everyone out there. Have an amazing week. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend. It would help us out tremendously. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of Pierce's new book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email. Or visit piercebrantley.co slash podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.